Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Women in Pop podcast. I'm Danny DePorto, and it is so good to be talking to you again. Exciting news. We're only one month away from the release of issue six of Women in Pop magazine. We have some fabulous interviews with some amazing women, as always, which we know you'll love. Stay tuned to our social media pages for more announcements soon. And probably the highlight of the magazine is that there will be a picture or two of me uh, for our behind-the-scenes podcast feature. So definitely make sure you get in quick and buy a copy before my mum gets them all. Now, on to today's show, we are so thrilled to have with us one of the most verified, signed-up, card-carrying, dead-set legends of the Australian music scene. It's none other than the totally bedazzling Casey Chambers. Casey first appeared on the music scene in 1999 with her debut album, The Captain, which has just been re-released in a 20th anniversary deluxe edition. In the past 20 years, she's had five number one albums, plus the legendary number one single from 2002, Not Pretty Enough. And last year, her brilliantness was recognised when she was inducted into the Aria Hall of Fame, the youngest female ever to get that honour. Casey Chambers... I'm thrilled to welcome you here to the podcast. Hello and welcome. Oh man, that was like such an amazing introduction. Thank you. And I got through it in one take, I don't I'm know. I'm so impressed. Your brilliance is rubbing off on us. <laughs> Can you say it all again for me, please? Oh, God, it's recorded, it's there for posterity now. So I remember seeing you on the red carpet at the Arias back in November. Um, and of course, you were inducted into the Hall of Fame, loved your chat in the media room afterwards. <laughs> the you. biggest thing that stood out to myself and uh, Women of Pop editor Paul was this uh, wonderful piece of advice you shared, the best advice you've ever been given by your father. It was, um, <laughs> don't be a dickhead. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I, You know, when I was like writing out my speech, I just, I wanted to come up with something so much more profound than that because I felt, you know, this is like a big deal to get inducted in, into the ARIA Hall of Fame. And I never thought I'd ever get anything like that. And I thought, this is your one chance to, you know, just be so inspiring and so profound. And then as I was, you know, going back and forth about a bunch of different things that I could say and, and all that, I just kept coming back to this same thing that my dad has said to me, like heaps, by the way, he said it, said it to me so many times, and to other people, just don't be a dickhead, you know. And I say it to my kids. I know it's really politically incorrect to do that. Um, but it is it is so simple, you know, and I feel like now um, I, I realise that, I've actually lived by that a whole lot in my life. So when I've actually, um, you know, making decisions or, or thinking about, oh, should I say that to that person or should I do this or what, or should I behave in that way, often I go, well, you know what, are you just being a dickhead, you know? <laughs> and I just started realising, no, this is what you need to say because this is the best advice that your dad has ever given you. And my mum gave me the, you know, she's always sort of lived by this this same sort of thing when it comes to women. And I think in a world where today women have to, you know, stand up and say what they think and, and have very strong opinions and, and um, you know, show their strengths and show their weaknesses and, and do all of that as well, but stand up and do it we need to not forget about kindness as well. And I think, you know, we're so judgmental in this world and, and you know, the the thing that I've always gotten out of what my my mum has taught me and how to be uh, was very much being a bitch doesn't make you strong and being strong doesn't make you a bitch. And to know the difference between those two things is a very, very important thing to learn as a woman and what I try and teach my daughter. That is wonderful. I love that. I think both slogans could 
happily sit on a t-shirt. <laughs> I might make one up with both Definitely. of them there. <laughs> I think I think you should. My dad actually has t-shirts that say don't be a dickhead. <laughs> but it's it's great. It is beautiful that um you know you were trying to find something profound but you ultimately came back to yourself, which well, I think is what your career is all about, right? It is it's always been about that and you know, at the time, you look back to 20 years ago when I made the Captain album, my first record and that, and I didn't really know that that's what I was doing, but I, now I, I think I'm really proud of myself for trusting in myself enough to just go with what felt right at the time and not go with what, you know, people expected from you or what was being played on the radio or what you should or shouldn't do or how you should or shouldn't look or all that. And I I don't know. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I think I must have trusted my gut to a certain extent to have made that record the way that I did and just to put it out there the way that I did. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is fantastic. It has earned you induction to the ARIA Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. You're the youngest woman in there. You're a country music artist, ostensibly. So yeah, yeah. Is it, has it sunk in yet? Um, no, I don't know that that one will ever sink in, to be honest. Like, I don't think any of this is ever really going to sink in. I, You know, I don't really think about it a whole lot, to mm. be honest. And, and um, I sometimes I just try not to think about those things because I, I actually do find it overwhelming if I really do sit down and think about what I've done in my career. Um, do you find it adds pressure? Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Look, I, I always try and separate my um, my creative life and my career. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I look at them as two completely different things. So when I'm sitting in a room and I'm writing a song or if I'm in a studio and making a record, it's a really personal thing for me and it's not, ever about the listener and it's not ever about what the record company expects from me or, um, you know, or what my last album did success-wise, you know, what failures could be ahead or anything like that. I try to just not think about that at all and I try to not take on pressure. Um, I actually don't think, I think a lot of it is because you put pressure on yourself, yeah, you know, yeah. a lot more than what other people put on you. You People only put pressure on you in a way that you choose to take on. Um, and I have just always tried to separate that from my career. But then it's funny because, you know, the moment my record is finished, any album that I've ever made, I go completely into promo mode and I'm like, career mode now. Okay, let's do this. What's going to be singles? Let's get onto video clips. Let's do photo shoots. Um, let's talk about artwork. Let's get out there and promote it as much as we possibly can. So luckily I kind of love that side of it too, but I just know how, where to put those two things in my life. I think I've learned that. I got off track a little bit over the years, but, um, Overall, I have learnt how to do those things and how to keep them very separate because I think um, one can be each one can be really detrimental to the other, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so I kind of just want to keep them really separate. And and how much is performing a big part of this for you as well? That that component. I mean, you were recently awarded the Blues Fest Lifetime Achievement Award. Not to keep throwing, throwing your accolades <laughs> in your face, but um, no, keep throwing them. It's great. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, uh, you know what? Playing live is 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 really everything. It's my favourite part, without a doubt. And I do love writing songs and making records, um, but I think if I 
you know, if someone took away one part of my life, what would be the hardest thing to ever take would be if someone took away my life performing thing because that is my favourite part. I think because you're there in the room when people are you know, connecting to your music. Like I love making records, but it's still, it's still a very personal thing. And I think I'm a really extroverted person. You know, I love being around people and I love connecting with other people in any way. Like I, I I love it, you know, standing out on stage when you're playing to thousands of strangers and I, and I sell my life story to them, you know, I love that. But I also like getting stuck in a lift with people and having a chat, you know, it's not great being the other person. Getting stuck in a lift with me is pretty annoying. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be a pretty cool story. It's kind of like what we're doing right now, I guess. But <laughs> Oh, like I'm, I'm here voluntarily. You've got me. Like some, I did some, lock that the door key. though, you know. <laughs> yeah, someone, someone lose the key. So if you want to get out, you can't. <laughs> That's okay. We've got a window here to uh, a window uh, here to the street here in Forbes Street Studio. People watching at the same time, we can do that. It's great. They, they, guys, come on down. You can watch us. We'll be here <laughs> like a little fishbowl. Definitely. And um, so we need we need to talk about what's happening now. The twentieth anniversary it's crazy of the captain <laughs> a, a, a new a new release i mean in the interim you have done kind of. a bonus release so we've got a uh, we've got the original tracks we've got bonus tracks we've got one track that you managed to lose and then find again yeah it kind of was because we recorded this song called hey girl and it's um a song that i wrote for my cousin like um little girl my she's grown up now obviously um but I wrote this song for my cousin and I recorded it along with all of the Captain stuff around that same time, but not particularly for the album. I just recorded it at that time so I had something to give to her because it was a gift to her, this song. And um, I, back then it would have been on a tape, actually, a cassette tape Amazing. that we would have put it on, yeah, and given it to my cousin Lara. And... So all of the songs basically that we recorded for the Captain album made it onto the album, but then there was this extra little track that we hadn't really thought of because it had already served its purpose. It was for my cousin and it was a gift for her and we gave it to her, so I didn't really think about it very much. And then my brother Nash, who had produced that the Captain album, he sent it to me a little while ago just for fun because he must have been going through old stuff and, and sent me the song. And, oh, it just took me back and so many beautiful memories in that song. And so it's really nice now to have the chance to actually share that song with people. So That's really I cool. I hope Lara doesn't mind. I didn't even ask her. Yeah, <laughs> bragging rights. Should've. Bragging rights for Lara. <laughs> I mean, I definitely want to take you back to um, something from the original press release in 1999. Wow. <laughs> when you were first releasing this this debut album of yours and you were talking about The Captain. And this is a quote from you. It's, uh, this is a song that I sing through the eyes of myself 20 years on from now when I'm ready to take time out and forget about the rest of the world for the while. Did that actually say 20 years? Yeah, you, know? you actually said, this is a song I sing through the eyes of myself 20 <laughs> years on from now. And you were, you know, I think you were projecting that you would be chilling out. That's Obviously insane. you're not, you're still going, you're gangbusters. Mean, well, you know what, the funny thing is I do... It makes so much sense to me. I mean, I I knew that when I wrote that song that I did write it through the eyes of myself in the future, but I didn't know that I specifically said 20 years and and now I'm doing that. That's insane. Full circle moment. So it really is, um, when I wrote the song, I I had this um, 
this guy in my life that was really special to me at the time. He he en- ended up being a boyfriend, but at the time, I think we were just friends when I wrote the song. His whole family were very special to me, and and we um we spent a lot of time together. We were living together on on Norfolk Island at the time, which Norfolk became a massive part of this Captain album. We recorded the album there. A lot of the songs were inspired by people out there and places, and um the song was really saying, you know. I I know now I am in the foreground and I am doing all of this stuff and you are supporting me and it's saying that one day I would like to trade places with you and I want to sit back and um and be no one in the background and um and you be the captain and you be the leader in this you know and I think it became sort of this this bigger thing than just this person, obviously, who was very special. Um, but I think it became sort of a way of looking at things too. And I definitely do that a lot more now. I, and I know you say, you know, I'm still on the go and I, I absolutely am. And I still love working as much as ever. And I still love going out and touring and all that. But I'm a lot more aware now of, you know, wanting to just take time to do things that are not in that crazy world of my life and do more normal things. But are you successful at that? (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) I'd like to say always, but no, not always. I, you know, when I'm at home, I I do like to, um, you know, turn off from, from my crazy part of my life. I love my crazy part of my life and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live without it. That's for sure. Uh, and it pays the bills, so I couldn't live without it. <laughs> um, but I do like turning off from things as well and, and just, um, you know, living a bit of, you know, quote-unquote normal life and, and that sort of thing. So yeah. tell me about touring. Do you still tour with the same sort of velocity or do you take more breaks, more time to explore <laughs> the various cities you find yourself in? Um, no, look, we... We do tour in a lot of the same ways, you know, as as we always have. I've just got uh, um, more kids on the road <laughs> than Amazing. I had back then. I mean, you're about to go on tour yeah. now. Is the whole family coming? Um, yeah. Well, they come on some parts. We sort of work it trip by trip and, and you know, I mean, I just went – you know, I did a whole lot of touring over in America and I took my kids on that. But then, you know, the tour before that to America, I didn't take them on. And, and it just sort of works out different for each one, I think. Um, and I have a really awesome a lot of people around me <laughs> helping out, you know, a lot of family and, and friends and that that help a lot with the kids or I wouldn't be able to make that happen, you know, so. And I need to obviously bring up the fact that when you did first record this album, it was a family affair. Yeah. And you were somewhat learning on the job a little bit to an extent. You, your brother, your dad. So, yeah, do you all think, of us. I mean, still kind of learning on the job, but yeah. <laughs> but do you think that approach would be viable today, in today's industry? Um, well, I think it kind of has to be. I think there's a beauty in that, that, um, you know, I think back on that record and don't get me wrong, there's, there's lyrics on there that make me cringe when I <laughs> hear them. But overall, I actually think... There's a naivety in in that record that is not in any other album that I've ever made. And and I think in a lot of ways that makes that record a a very special record for me. Um, And I'm not saying, oh, it's the best album I've ever made or or whatever. I mean, what's what's best and, and you know, they're all like my babies anyway. (laughs) But there's something about that record because I didn't really know what I was doing and because I just trusted in in what felt right at the time um, 
And I still try and approach albums like that as much as I possibly can. But I think there's something special about everybody's first record because of that. You know, you've got no expectation and you just have to trust yourself a little bit, you know, to, to, uh, somewhere in there, it's going to guide you where it, where it can go and it's not written on paper and it's not being told to you by somebody else and you just, I don't know, it's not it's not out of experience, it's not out of any of those things. And, and I think um, I will always look back on that record as being just the most special album I've ever made for that reason. Well, we know that you never set out to be a solo artist. But no. <laughs> yeah, this, this first debut coming off the back of Dead Ringers, yeah. you were saying that you did feel that you actually had stuff to say on your own, standing totally. alone. Do you feel like you still have stuff that you need to say? Oh, my God, so much. <laughs> I do. Um, you know, and I think I'll feel like that forever. I absolutely have more songs to write and I still have things to say. And I, and in some, some songs I need to say them louder and some songs just need to be... Um, you know, at the end of an album, just that little song that I never play live or never talk about or anything, you know, so, some of them. And some songs, it's just about writing them and no one will ever hear them as well. You know, I still do that. Um, and I love that they just become their own thing and it's not always about their end game. When I've written the song, sometimes that is all the end game is, you know, is it just needs to exist somewhere from me and you know it's not about whether anyone hears it or not and then you to be honest most of the time it's the opposite though I'm like oh my god I can't wait to play this to somebody (laughs) you know I can't wait to share them um and I love that I get to share music you know is is there anything that you're sick of performing now after all these years (laughs) (laughs) I know you mentioned some cringy (laughs) lyrics now looking back yeah there's a few songs that I um no, I mean, there's no songs that I hate. I wouldn't say I hate any, but there's certain songs that I take out for tours because I get a bit sick of them and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, all right, I'm a bit sick of playing that one and I might just take it out and then we'll put it in again next tour or whatever. To be honest, luckily, most of the songs on The Captain, I still really love playing. The Captain itself is my favourite song I've, I've ever written, without a doubt. 100% I mean, we always were looking, has been. Yeah, we were looking at the lyrics. You've got one in there, I think, as a precursor to, of course, one of your biggest hits of all time. And it was, I don't have as many friends as I used to because I'm not pretty anymore. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. And And like, of course, 2002, Not Pretty Enough, really launched you globally. Yeah. As like on the back of this album. Yeah. And I mean, I don't really think that much into lyrics. I kind of just mostly let them come out when they come out. So I I certainly didn't have any connection between those two at the time. But you look back and you think, you know, um, uh, like... A lot of those songs back then, I was really just running on what kind of felt right because I didn't really know anything about the craft of songwriting. And, you know, I'd like to say that I've learnt a lot over the years about the craft of songwriting, but I still don't think that is really what connects with people. You know, I, I think sometimes it's fun to to put the craft of songwriting into what you're doing and all that, but I, I don't reckon that's what people really care about. I think bottom line, if you're being authentic and just putting your true self into songs and it's coming from a real place that that makes you feel something and sometimes that's a good feeling or a bad feeling or anything, it's just a feeling and it makes you, that's all I ever want from music that I listen to, you know, is just to feel something. 
And do you find that audiences respond differently here in Australia versus in America, the rest of the world? Do they like yeah. different vibes or different songs yeah. more? Is there anything distinctive? Definitely um, there's a difference. It's not always really obvious what that difference is. Um, it just feels different. But But I could even say that about like you know, playing in Melbourne is different to playing in Sydney. Like it actually is. And, and it's not always these really obvious things, but, you know, playing in cities is different to playing in regional areas, you know. Um, sitting around a campfire feels very different than playing in a stadium. <laughs> you know, obviously these things are going to all be different. I think too, you know, I've toured a lot in America over the years, Um and there's something, I think there's a connection in with American audiences where a lot of um, people that I play to have grown up on a lot of the same sort of music that I have grown up on because I was mostly brought up on American country music. So um, with the exception of a few like Slim Dusty and, and Paul Kelly and, and, you know, listening to some of those artists, but mostly my dad brought me up listening to Johnny Cash and Graham Parsons and Amy Lou Harris. And, and then when I started discovering music on my own, like aside from what my parents listened to, I got into artists like Lucinda Williams and Steve Earle and um, uh, Nancy Griffith and all these singer-songwriters from America. So then when I go to America and I play over there, I think there's um, a certain connection too with even just the covers that I play is a little bit different too when you play them in America because I think a lot of those people know a lot of those songs too. I mean, you were mentioning back when you first did The Captain, we were dealing with cassette tapes. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you never expected that in 20 years you'd be re-releasing it on vinyl. I can't believe that. It's so weird because it's never been on vinyl before, which I was actually surprised when, when someone said to me, like, it was only like a few months ago when we were first talking about the vinyl coming out and the vinyl artwork. And they were like, oh, and we're finally going to release it on vinyl. And I said, hasn't it ever been on vinyl? And they're like, no, it's the captain has never been released on vinyl. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's kind of a good thing now, isn't it? Because yeah. we get to release it now. Um, but, I mean, vinyl is even a, a bit before my time. I'm not even that old, but I don't even have a vinyl player now, so I haven't heard it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool, hey, that like everything's coming full circle. I mean, let's let's talk about the changes you've seen in the industry in the last 20 years. Yeah. Let's speak specifically wow. about country music because it used to be, you know, yeah. the older the older gentleman. It was yeah. quite, like, niche out on its Very own. Much, yeah. And now we've had, you know, in, in the last 20 years, we've had Shania Twain and the Dixie yeah. Chicks and Taylor yep. Swift and all these powerhouse young chicks yep. bringing it to the forefront. Like, what's what's your take on how country has evolved on all these new artists on the scene, all the influences that we're feeling in pop music? Yeah, it's insane. To <laughs> You know, to be honest, it's like just this crazy world of country music that it it's sort of... Um, it's hard to explain a little bit too because I think there are so many different sides of country music now. So to just say, oh, country music is big or, you know, they're representing country music, it's, you know, there are so many small um, genres within that country music now. Um, in Australia, we're all kind of thrown in together, I think, you know, just because we don't have quite the population 
to back it up. So I often do festivals where you will go, I will go and play and there will be bluesy country there and folky country and then Nashville country and, and you know, Americana and folk and everything. So, you know, we're all kind of thrown in together, um, which I don't mind. I, I kind of, I love that, you know, that it brings yeah. out everybody. But in America, you go over there and it's very separate. So... I am not known as a country artist in America at all. I'm known as an Americana artist and I that is where um, my my gigs fall into Americana um, artists <laughs> gigs and and that is where you know that's the sort of radio that is pushed to and that sort of thing. So it's a whole kind of different world over there which I don't really understand all of it either because I don't spend a whole lot of time there. I go there and tour and then come home. So, <laughs> you know, it is completely different. But, you know, when I first started out and we, we made the Captain album, I kind of just resigned myself to the fact that I wasn't really ever going to be very successful in music because I played this sort of music that people don't really want to hear. And I was okay with that, but I really didn't, you know, I didn't think at all that one day I would be winning the awards that I'm winning or getting played on the radio stations that I ended up being played on. I was like, it wasn't even on my radar. I wouldn't have even known. I mean, I didn't even know what half those awards were when when I won them. I, I You know, like I went along to the ARIA Awards for the first time, um, you know, with the Dead Ringer Band and that. And I had barely even heard of an ARIA Award before that. I'd grown up on the Nullarbor. I'd travelled around Australia playing in a family country band and these sort of things weren't even on my radar. So I don't, you know, I didn't ever think that I would be, you know, like opening country music up to a whole other audience. And there wasn't even really that much rootsy music on the radio at all, not even in pop music really. Wow, and it's as relevant today as it was 20 years ago. That's really cool. <laughs> it's really good. Cool. It's evolved it's really cool a lot, but because it's Because I valid. can stand up now and still play the captain every night, which I do every night without fail, um, I, you know, and still be just as proud of the captain as any other song that I've ever written. And, and I, you know, I still love it. I still get lost in it every time I play it. Yeah. It's still just such a huge part of who I am. Well, final topic I'd like to talk to you about is uh, the changes you've seen in the last 20 years when it comes to women in the industry. I mean, of course, we're in a bit of a, a, a new wave of feminism right now across the board, yeah. lots of issues. Yeah. And uh, looking at intersectional issues as well. I mean, what's your take on what's easier, what's more difficult for girls nowadays than when you set out and began? You know, I, I haven't felt personally... Um, a whole lot of negative because I've been a woman in this music industry. Um, I Obviously, I started out, well, you know, I was going to say I started out 20 years ago. I'd actually made four records before that, but I hadn't had much to do with the industry. I have been surrounded by, um, you know, obviously in the music industry a lot more men than women, but I've also been surrounded by very, very respectful men. And I have always felt, you know, like most of the time, very respected by the people that I've worked with. Um, and I've always, I've never felt like I um, haven't gotten a fair go because I'm a woman. Um, I think I've felt it, to be honest, more about playing country music. <laughs> 
Interesting. I think I felt it more about, you know, maybe not taken seriously because I play country music, not so much about being a woman playing country music or whatever. But, you know, I look at, um, you know, even back back in the day, you know, when I was given my first gig um, at Blues Fest, you know, I, I went along actually being a backup singer for for a guy, <laughs> for Buddy Miller on um, on Blues Fest. And I went along to that festival um, singing back up for him. And then the next year um, they gave me a, a, a gig on a little stage, you know, going in. And then the year after that, I was headlining that festival. And so I certainly haven't, you know, felt that, you know, being a woman went against me in any way back then for that, you know, for things like that. Um, I've always been fairly outspoken and, and fairly, you know, particularly about being a woman in the industry and not ever allowing myself to, you know, to not be taken seriously, you know, because I because I'm a woman. Um, I just stand up and say what I think and if I feel strongly about something then I you know, I stick to it and I'm, my voice is pretty loud. So Awesome. Yeah. Without, without being a dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. Without being a dickhead. And you know what? No, and seriously, going back to what, you know, the, the sort of values that my mum, not just my mum, I think, I think my dad too, of, of, and my brother and all of the people that I surround myself with, um, even the men, they don't make me, you know, I surround myself with people who respect women and don't treat us like, you know, we're second rate because of being a woman or anything like that. So I think, you know, being around people like that, and, and that's what I want to have my children around. You know, I want my children to be around um, not only women that think that, but men that mm-hmm. think that. Yeah. And I think that is really important. I, I surround myself with with people who I feel like... Um, you know, I want to be a good influence on my boys. You know, I'm I'm raising two boys in this world right now and I don't want to have to sit them down every single day and give them a feminist talk. You know, I don't, like I would like for the actions of the people around them to be speaking louder than than the words that I say to them every day, you know. Don't get me wrong, every now and then I think I do need to remind <laughs> my kids, you know, and remind my daughter as well, you know, to um, stand up and, and be, um, be proud to be a woman and, you know, be outspoken and uh, all of those things. But I would like to think that my actions speak louder than than anything that I have to say to them and as well with the people that they surround themselves with. And your music has so much to say to all of us. Well, you know, I'm a bit of a whinger. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm always going to put it out there, you know. And look, at the end of the day, I play the the music um, because I do have things to say and and I think that the best thing that I've always done and I haven't known this at the time but in hindsight I think the best thing that I've done is to just always be real in what I'm saying I don't always get it right um, but when you're talking creatively there is no right and wrong you know I just want to be real with what I feel and some days I do look in the mirror and I say, am I not pretty enough? You know, I still say that when I look in the mirror sometimes. But my answer now is who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter. 
that's a, that's a wonderful bombshell to end the interview on. I do hope we get to speak to you again, though. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure lots more stones to turn over in the future. We could talk for hours. Um, but in the meantime, thanks for chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. Casey, it's been a pleasure. Listeners, don't forget the deluxe 20th anniversary reissue of Casey's debut solo album, The Captain, is out now. And not only is it available to download and stream, but you can also buy it on CD and, of course, for the very first time, on vinyl, including a very cool orange-coloured vinyl version. We like that one. And, um, <laughs> hey, just a reminder, Women & Pop magazine issue 6 will be out very soon. So to be the first in the queue to receive your copy, you can subscribe online. Just go to womenandpop.com forward slash subscribe. And stay tuned to our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages for not only our big reveals on who's featured in the next magazine, but also for some behind-the-scenes images of this podcast. Just search Women & Pop. Thank you for listening. We love you. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.